The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Any believer's life will go epic when they discover the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining our podcast today as we unfold more of the truths of who you are in Christ. Let's go epic. The world is turning more and more towards epic superheroes because the superhero is coming. So again, we welcome our online listeners. This is number 118 of the Identity Matters series. Today's topic is the 11 points of the blood. We've talked a lot about what blood isn't, and we've talked a little bit about what blood, the blood of Jesus is, and now we're going to bring out the 11 points of what it was for. The scripture evidence concerning the significance of the efficiency of the shed blood of Jesus Christ indicates that the blood of Jesus relates to these 11 points I'm going to show you right now. But before we do, I'd like to have someone read out for us Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. The Father did what Jesus is. He literally reset the entire world. Now, the earth itself is not going to be reset. It already has been given a destination. That destination is what? He's going to crack the globe. Molten fire, the lake of fire is going to come forth. He's going to take the earth. Now, I'm not making this up. But those of you who have never spent much time in Daniel and Ezekiel and, and the book of Revelation, you're going to think I got this out of a Star Trek movie or something. He's going to put the earth in the palm of his hand. While it's on fire. And he's going to toss it into the outer darkness. And the reason why it's outer darkness is because by the time he does this, he turns off every star. As it says in the book of Revelation, as one of the angels uh, shouted out to have the trumpet blown, every star falls. It just goes out. Every solar system. Now, if you've spent much time in astrology, you understand that there's a lot out there. And he turns it off. Then he takes this fiery planet and he tosses it into outer darkness. The only thing that the people, which is 90% of everyone that ever was born, the only thing they experience is gnashing of teeth and to have their rumpus burned for eternity, forever. 
There's no stars to look at at night. There's no sunshine to look at in the morning. There is just this constant heat and darkness and pain. So a lot of people have said to me, well, I know what my hell is going to be. Or I've heard people say, your personal hell is going to be according to the things that you dislike the most or you hate the most or whatever. No, hell is very simple. It's heat and pain and darkness forever. Now, the only way not to be a part of that finality since the earth is not going to go through a resetting, we better probably become indwelt by the one who did get reset. All of what the earth did to the people, all of what the people did to the earth, all of what the demons did to the people, all of what the people did to the demons, all, all that stuff came to this funnel point of Jesus ending the past world. It's over. And he resets everything. And in, in order to reset it, he had to become the first in everything. Again, he had to become the second Adam to be the first Adam. He had to, to be the first from the dead, the very first one that actually gets to go to heaven. You see, that's why I know that I know that no one got to go to heaven until Jesus saw his father. Nobody. I don't know where they're hanging out, whether they're hanging out by their tombs or that there's some kind of vast space between the, the heaven of the city of Zion and, and, and their dead bodies. I don't know what it looks like and I don't want to know what it looks like. I just know that's where everyone is. Except for those now who have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ and they die, and that passageway has been fulfilled. Jesus is the first in everything, as the scripture just told us, so that we can have that passageway to the great heaven, the dwelling place of the living God, instantly. And that's what the rapture is going to be like. For those who are walking around on the earth and the call goes out to bring the bride home. In a twinkling of an eye, they will just be pulled off this earth and the transition of going through the seven heavens, and those are not seven heavenly places, we're talking about stars, we're talking about the air you breathe, whatever God defines as these heavens they are taken through that instantly to everlasting, everlasting life. Anyone who does not receive the second Adam, who reset everything spiritually, has to go where the earth is going. I do believe that dead people who have not received Jesus Christ into their mortal beings are hanging out. I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe ghosts can talk to you. I don't believe you can talk to ghosts of dead people. 
but they're hanging out. There's no hell out there in space. There's no Hades hanging around Mars. It's here. And they are bound and they can't communicate with you. But, oh, we've got religions that prove that they can. Now, these are demons talking to you, listeners. In your seances. All these supernatural things that you see. They're demons. They're not your grandpa and grandma. But they're in one of these spaces that we're talking about. And they, ha- they are bound to the earth where their dead bodies are and they will have to carry out the consequences of this earth with the earth. So when God tosses this earth into this darkness, this outer space, they're on it. They can't leave it. You see, the initial reason why God put Satan on a formless planet, this this planet we're, we're on probably looks something like a moon. It was formless. And it was the prison cell for Satan because he rose up against the knowledge of God. And God didn't have 40 hours of therapy with him. He just picked him up and he tossed him from heaven And he put him on this formless planet. Then from that evil, then from Satan's prison cell, he births the bride for his son. He skims off the cream of the crop out of billions of people that are born in this prison cell of Satan. You have to, you have to understand this. There's nothing beautiful about this earth by itself. Any beauty that is in it, you're seeing God. And it will return back to its original state after God's done. Are you with me? Read the book of Revelation. There is, after each seal is broken, There is a destruction on nature. Next one, destruction on nature. Next one, destruction on nature. Next one, destruction on nature. Until there is destruction of man. He's going to return this beautiful little pearl of a planet back to being farmless. No trees. Trees are specifically mentioned in the book of Revelation. Plants are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Torched. Fresh running water is going to turn to blood. Our oceans are going to turn to blood. He is going to return the prison cell back to its original prison. And if you do not inherit the life of Jesus Christ... In this short period of time, listener, when that jail cell door shuts and it's padlocked, that is up to the point of the rapture. You say, well, what about the 144,000? Those are pure bloodline Jews that are left from the 12 tribes. 
because God gave him a promise a long time ago. So any of you fake Jews, converted Jews, or anyone who's not authentic of one of the 12 bloodlines, you're in deep trouble. The only ones that are going to be saved on the face of the earth, without question, is 144,000 pure bloodline Jews. Not just 144,000. He has them literally divided up according to each tribe. It is a miracle. And he takes those out. And then he says to hell with you. All of you. Because you would not receive the firstborn from the dead. I gave you warnings. I gave you scriptures. I gave you stories. I gave it all to you. I gave you this beautiful planet. You destroyed that. I, I gave you everything to show you me. Then to show you my son. And then I put my Holy Spirit, the spirit that lives inside me as God, I put that inside you. But those who say, no, I don't want that. But they want the other two. They don't make it. And listener, I hope you're listening very carefully. If you don't get the indwelling before the rapture, there is no one going to be saved after the rapture. Nobody. Only the 144,000 are rescued because of a promise. And you can try to turn that into Jehovah Witness stuff. You can try to turn that into my, my children's children. You know, they still have a second chance. If you believe any of those kinds of doctrines, you are being lied to. Everything is up to the rapture. That's your last second. That's it. That's the cutoff. And if you are a pure bloodline Jew of one of the 12 tribes, you will be redeemed after the rapture. It's beautiful, it's powerful, and God gave us plenty of warning. But you know, the thing that most of us teachers and preachers of truth struggle with is truth following, falling on deaf ears. People hear these powerful, life-changing, earth-shattering, heaven-breaking truths. And it affects them not. Because it's not the words or the teaching or the preaching preachers that changes the people. It's the power of the Holy Spirit ministering to someone that is listening. In whatever country you're ministering in. Whatever village you're ministering in. It's just one. And it may hit thousands and thousands of people. It's just one. It's just going to be one or two or Two over there, one over there. Because the Hebrew laws of percentages is not going to change for you. And if you think because your kids are okay, they're not. They're not okay. 
they're going to go to hell if they do not receive the inheritance of the living Christ from within. They're going to hell. They're not going to make it. 90% of every human ever born, guys, is a lot of people. It's a lot of children and grandchildren and grandpas and grandmas and nice people down the block. It's a lot of them. But you know what? We have to make ourselves feel better. We have to get our injection of comfort of, they'll be okay. They love Jesus. Loving Jesus is not going to get them to heaven. Loving God the Father is not going to get them to heaven. Going to church their entire life is not going to get them to heaven. Preaching and teaching and casting out demons is not going to get them to heaven. There's only one thing. And he warned us over and over again. The indwelling life of his son. Because in that indwelling is what gives us our restart. That's it. Now we're a part of his new life. His new birth. His new. His new. Everything that's first for him after the tomb, we get to experience with him. So that's why we have to be crucified with him. We have to be buried with him. We don't have to go to the Hades part, thank God. He did that, but then the resurrection part we get to share with him. And then Colossians 3.3, we are placed and seated at the, the right hand of the Father. So you can look at your problems or your life, or your grandma and grandpa, or your spouses, or your children, or your grandchildren, from one of three perspectives. If you choose four, you're going with them. But here's the three perspectives. There are indwelt believers that stay on the cross. It's always about their pain. You know the person. You've met them. No matter what you talk about, they talk about their pain. Then there's tomb dwellers. Remember those guys? They sit in there, you know, on the same seat that Jesus laid on. His body's long gone. And they're sitting there on the tomb seat. And they're looking around this dark tomb. And all the darkness is closing in on them. And the stone rolled away. Light coming through the, through the, the door. And they stay in this tomb. And those are the ones that are like, just leave me alone. Stay in the tomb. Just stay in there. Don't get up and run out in self-effort. Stay in there and read the walls of the tomb. See what is on the walls. You see, all the identity statements of the pre-resetting button is what's on the tomb walls. And you can go back in there and sit and look at your childhood memories and your childhood statements and your pre-cross stuff. Yeah, it's carved on the walls of the tomb for a reason. So it will stay there. And then when you experience resurrected life, you got to start looking somewhere for these new identity statements. 
Where do you think that's supposed to be? Part of Jesus Christ. The mind of Christ that is in you. I'm telling you, as soon as most people hit right before Identity Matters message, they have a mental breakdown. It's just like they don't want to leave the tomb, which is the first half of the workbook. Do you understand that? It's the first half of the workbook. Is I'm helping you identify the writings on the walls of your tomb. So when you go back in there through selfish reasons, you'll go, these are, these are my writings. I gotta get out of here. But if you don't know all this, if you don't know where your identity statements are today, they'll trap you. As they do all of us from time to time. Redemption is in order. So that is number one. Redemption means to buy back or to buy someone out. That's actually what it means. So it's kind of like taking a slave. You can't just go on someone's plantation and grab a slave and say, you're a free person, God says so. Now who would have the right to do that, to walk on some humanoid's plantation? Just some some abusive plantation owner. Wouldn't God just kind of come in and say, we're taking these slaves? No, even God himself kept the rules. You see, when Adam chose to sin, not Eve, when Adam chose to sin, he put the entire future in slavery, to that prison cell. And everyone that was going to be born in that prison cell is going to be a slave to Satan. And there was a price tag that Satan put on it. Firstborn. I want your firstborn. That's exactly what God paid. He sent his son to pay the requirement. The firstborn male has to die. Because Satan was after God's authority. And he knew the only way to diminish his authority is to take his firstborn son. Who was always in heaven, right? See how powerful this is? And so, whatever Satan was warring with up there, he had that figured out. So when this whole prison cell thing took place and he got to Eve and got to Adam and now they are enslaved to sin which is one of Satan's names, so now they're enslaved to him. He's their master. As Jesus referred to the Pharisees, he said, you are of your master, your father, Satan. So there had to be a pay meant of a firstborn. So a lot of people say, I don't get why God set the whole garden thing up, and I don't get why he had that, and I don't get what... It's really simple. The payment had to be a firstborn of God to set you free. If you just take 30 seconds and think about that, that there was pressure upon God to have to send His only Son in physical flesh 
to pay that penalty so you could get out of that prison cell forever. And there's so many people that just kind of look at it or listen to what I just said, and they just kind of like, I don't think that's the way it was. They would have hundreds of scriptures to explain. Redemption is God paying the ransom that Satan put on God. You want him back? You're going to pay for him. And the only way you're going to pay for him is you give me your firstborn son. And God did that. He just laid him out there and he let Satan try to deceive him and tempt him and, you know, the, the whole thing. And he killed him. The simple facts are Satan killed him. Death does not belong to God. Satan is used by God to bring about death for us to make our transition. Satan is used by God to bring destruction. Satan is used by... And that's what God did. But see, Satan was a bit surprised because I don't believe Satan can read the future. So here he's sucking in his last air on the, on the cross and he dies. It's finished. I'll bet you he was jumping up and down, rejoicing. Finally. But he didn't calculate one thing. And as the sky went, what? Dark. I'll bet you the whole earth was dark. Not just Jerusalem. It wasn't just a cloud moving in. And then the earth began to what? Quake. Splitting the temple down the middle. It rips the veil. And I'll bet you Satan was going, what's going on here? Darkness? Temples being ripped? I thought that was a big deal to God. The temple had to be broken so that the ones coming out of the prison cell will become the temple of God. No more synagogue. It totally messed Satan up. And then God said, I paid it. You just didn't expect me to bring him back. And that messed him up from that moment on. And now he's trying to deceive believers about the indwelling life. Paul, Peter, John, and many others made these points very clearly about the power of redemption. Dr. Luke, the great physician from the Bible, one of the, the, the twelve disciples said, Church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Consider blood to be a paycheck. That's the best way to view redemption. Second one. Second and third one is propitiation, which is the shed blood of Jesus in his sacrificial death was the object to satisfy God's death penalty for sin. Did it satisfy Satan? No, it shocked him. He wasn't expecting this. He really was thinking, he had to be thinking, if I could just get him dead, if I could just get Jesus dead, then I can have that spot. 
Now, I know sin makes us stupid. But I'm telling you, he has really got to be stupid. Tossed from heaven because of trying it. Put on a formless planet, watching God do this beautiful creation out of nothingness. And then, you know, thinking he's really winning when he got the whole entire earth to be demonic. And then God floods it out. Washes it out, restarts it, hits the restart button through Noah. Satan does it all over again. But this time Satan heard God say, Oh, I'm not going to destroy the earth the next time. You will. So what does Satan do? He puts the fire under every evil person and they start destroying the earth. You can pick up a fistful of dirt tonight and put it under a microscope. And see sin in the dirt. The earth is breaking down on us. The earth is not filled with godly pure dirt. The earth got what? What was one of Adam's consequences? Cursed. Cursed means sin. Sin was put in the dirt. No matter how much you try to get it back to be organic. Whatever that means. There's sin in the soil. God cannot take creation out of the dirt anymore and form a new man. He had to give a new man through this supernatural experience called Jesus. And he became the firstborn man, Adam, without sin. Not from dirt, breath. Cleansing. As a penalty of sin was taken in the death of our Savior, the blood of Christ thus cleansed. It's like the flood washing the earth. How do you wash a wound, by the way? Is anyone hip to that? I know we use hydrogen peroxide. It's soap and water. That'll clean off the dirt. Yep, then get the band-aids out. Back in the Old Testament, and even in the early New Testament, if you got a wound, the sin from the air, do you realize that the air you're breathing has got sin in it? 602. 292. 2982. The air you're breathing has sin in it. It's called viruses. It's called bad bacteria. You might not think obedience when it comes to sin like John was talking about. But the air is obedient. The earth is obedient. The stars are obedient. Everything's obedient but you. And when that you get that cut and you don't cover it from our sinful environment, that bacteria gets in there and begins to what? Cause an infection. An infection is basically the bad guy's winning. So the way they used to do it is take sandpaper. Yes, they had sandpaper back then. Anyone can make sandpaper from sand and paper. And they would bring that wound down until it was just raw flesh. And then they would take oil and they would pour oil over that wound three times a day. Oil, Cover it, rip it off, raw, oil, 
And they did that three times a day. Because here's the wonderful thing about oil. Bacteria thinks oil is blood. And it'll cling to it. That's miraculous to me. They couldn't explain the science of that today. You can go online and, 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 and see what I just told you is the truth. But God had already revealed that to them. So when it came to the book of Revelation, and the four horsemen came out, and he says to the last one, do not destroy the wine and the oil. You see, that oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is designed by the living God to be able to take your sin, handle it, when you're wounded or breathing sin, waking up in sin, and so forth and so on. It's cleansing. It's a beautiful thing, guys. Okay, here's four and five. Forgiveness, the death of Christ symbolized by the concept of shed blood, releases and forgives men from the penalty of their sins. Obviously, the reason being is that when you come before the Lord and say, I feel guilty for whatever, what is a paycheck again? Redemption. So when you're bringing these guilt feelings before God, that is if you're indwelt, if you're not, it doesn't matter. And you're bringing these guilt feelings before God, and you're talking about, you know, you're sweating out your sorrow and your grief and your guilt and your this and that and whatever, and God looks at you and says, what sin are you talking about? Behold, I wiped away your sin. I remember it not any more. You calling me a liar, Steve? Now, anyone that understands the reality of what the blood of Jesus did, and you're listening to me, you're rejoicing inside, because you know it's the truth. So you can bring guilt and condemnation and, and all this stuff before the Lord over and over and over again, but I'm here to tell you that every time you do, God's not going to make up that it's a brand new thing. Okay, I'll deal with it. I'll forgive you this time. The true spirit of the living God is going to say, it is done. It is finished. Choose not this. Choose this. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But no, we make a big deal about sin. People, believers who make a big deal about sin, don't get this. They're rubbing that paycheck in God's face saying, I think you forged it. I don't think it's real. It also gave us access to God. I mean, it's like a bloodline. It's like a, it's like an artery that connects Keeps the brain alive. Keeps the mind of Christ alive. He provided this vein, this passageway to the mind of Christ inside you. He gives the natural things to help us understand the supernatural. It is also for the purpose of reconciliation. Reconciliation is a financial term. Now, I'm going to hold off on the rest of them until next week. 
because these are very important final points. And if we get the 11 points, statements, truths, reasons in the scriptures about the blood, when we get into solical rest, it's going to blow your mind. Solical rest is birthed through these 11 groanings. Because if you groan again for what he groaned for, it's kind of like you're saying, Jesus, get back on the cross. Ah, right now. Ah, get back on the cross and die again for my guilt that I'm feeling right now. That's why it is foolishness to ask Christ for forgiveness. It's foolishness. What should we do? You thank him for the forgiveness. That's something in identity counseling that we do very early on, is we train the person to say, do not ask Jesus for forgiveness. Thank him for it. When you feel guilty, you do confess, you do get it out, you do throw it up, and then you say, God, thank you for forgiving me so long ago on the cross, of what you did on the cross through your son. Thank you. Everything that was finished, we need to speak of in our prayers as thank you for it, not asking for it again. That's how clear we must be in our identity speech. Haven't you ever been sitting and listening to people pray in a prayer group and, you know, they're praying using words and concepts and principles that aren't even in the word? And you're sitting there trying to focus on being so in touch with the living God and the mind of Christ in you. And you get thrown off by these statements that believers are using and claiming Jesus like he's some kind of a slot machine. Instead of honoring and respecting him and coming into reality of his reality and going, Wow, Jesus, this is not my thoughts. These are your thoughts. I want to join your thoughts. And I've been sinning by not joining your thoughts. So I just lay that before you and say, I'm wrong. But you're right. And what you did for me and now through me is what I want to focus on. When you listen to people pray identity matters, you hear the difference immediately. And you too can have this. But if you get stuck in your same Christian terminology until you die, what point is that? You're no different than the other Christian who's going to hell. I'll say that again. You're no different than the other person, Christian, that's going to hell. Being Christian, a Christ follower, doesn't guarantee you a ticket to heaven. But being an indwelt follower does guarantee you access, a vein to the mind and life of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this wonderful message. Thousands of years, Father, laying out this wonderful, beautiful story that is real and true 
to show us what the blood of your Son truly is about. I pray for salvation this week, Lord. And Father, you have certainly been breathing life into my dry bones. And I'm praying, Father God, that there will be a movement in people's hearts that they'll make a decision not to be thrown into the outer darkness with the prison cell of Satan, but they will open their hearts and minds to the life of your Son. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.